Have you ever been struggling, suffering, going through a difficult time, and those around you were unsympathetic to what you were going through? That is what we find Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus struggling, suffering, going through a difficult time, and he's surrounded by those who, as we think about it, would have been those we would have expected to be sympathetic, concerned, but they were the complete opposite. And interestingly enough, as, as we study this passage this morning, as we look into it, we're going to find that this isn't uh, the greatest aspect to Jesus' suffering. It, it's uh, not what ultimately causes Jesus the great agony we're going to find he has in the Garden of Gethsemane. So our passage for this morning is Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Uh, the one Pastor Herb just read for us, and I, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we'll be working through these verses. It'll be important for you to uh, see these verses before you. So if you're not there already, please turn there. And as we consider this passage this morning, our theme for this morning, and, and the thing I want us to especially focus on as we prepare to partake of communion, is a consideration of the agony Jesus endured as he approached the cross and why he experienced such agony. So our theme is a consideration of the agony Jesus endured as he approached the cross, and then more specifically, why he experienced such agony. So this passage takes place right before Jesus is arrested, before really uh, the, the events start taking place that lead up to the cross. And we find as Jesus anticipates his suffering and ultimately his death, he prays. Look with me at Matthew 26, verse 36. That's where our passage begins. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So in the passages leading up to ours, we don't have the time to, to look at those or really go into them in any depth, but Jesus has been spending his time with his disciples. He's been, he's been in the fellowship of his disciples. He's been talking with them. He uh, ate the Lord's Supper with them, or he instituted the Lord's Supper. And here he has them stay where they are, and he is going to go a little ways away. And we're going to see in the next verse, he actually does take three disciples with him. But even with them, he, he removes himself so that he is alone. And it's not just that he, he wants alone time, that he just wants to be alone. But we see he's distancing himself. As the end of verse 36 says, he says, sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus, as he anticipates his death and the suffering to come, sees the importance and the necessity of prayer. Jesus removes himself from those who he was close to to spend time with God the Father, knowing the hardship to come, knowing the desertion that he would experience from his disciples. Jesus could have easily, if you think about it, and you put yourself in his shoes, he could have easily wanted to stick close with his disciples, continue to be with them, continue to look for maybe comfort or just conversation with them to get his mind off of what was to come. But we see here, right off the bat in our passage, that Jesus valued and he intentionally decided that he would pray. So we get an application right off the bat for ourselves I believe here Jesus is an example to us in our suffering. 
And I'd ask you, do you set aside time to pray when you're suffering? Do you see the value in it? Even if you anticipate a difficult time coming, do you take time to pray before you enter into this difficult situation? We might be tempted to continue to be with people, as I already said, Jesus could have easily been tempted to do. We may be tempted to value their presence, value the time that we have with people who we're close to, who will bring comfort to us. But we see here right off the bat the importance and the necessity, necessity that Jesus puts on prayer when it comes to our times of suffering. So Jesus goes off to pray, and we get to see how he's feeling next, what he's emotionally and mentally going through. Look with me at Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 through 38. It says, In taking with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. And watch with me. So he's with all of his disciples, and, and he goes off, and he takes three of them with him. We're told it's Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which uh, these two sons were the disciples James and John. And I want you to notice how Jesus was feeling. Okay, We're told first in verse 37, if you look there again, it says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It hit him. What he knew would soon take place hit him. It says he began. Began to be sorrowful and troubled. So it seems that these feelings, the full awareness of, of what he knew was coming and what he would experience became real here as he walked with these three disciples to pray. And we're told how he felt. The word sorrowful speaks of being sad, distressed, and grieved. The word troubled that comes next speaks of being anxious, distressed. It speaks of an unsettledness, an uneasiness that is in one's mind. That is how Jesus was feeling. That's what he was going through. And, and I really want us to understand the gravity of these words. We're not to think that Jesus is just disappointed, that he's slightly upset at what's about to happen. But these words, and especially bringing these two words together, sorrowful and troubled, shows to us that Jesus was experiencing extreme and deep distress. These words together communicate the word I used in our title, in our theme, agony, an intense pain of mind. That's what Jesus was going through. So Jesus didn't just walk to his death with no struggle. He didn't say, I know this is what is going to happen. I know it must be done. I know what it will accomplish, so I'm going to be happy. No, we see he struggled through it. It was difficult. He was in anguish because of it. And we see this same thing, and maybe even more so communicated when he reveals it to his disciples. If you look with me at verse 38 again, we see he reveals how he's feeling to the three disciples. It says, then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. So sometimes when we suffer, we might shy away from telling people or sharing how we really feel. But Jesus, he's real with Peter, James, and John here. And he, he doesn't just say he's sad, but he says he's very sad. He's deeply grieved by what he's about to go through. So Jesus tells them, I'm struggling. 
I'm really struggling. And this is emphasized even more as he says, even to death. So Jesus is saying he's so sad, he's so grieved, he's so anguished that he could die. That this sorrow was so bad that it could have killed him. So we're told, and Jesus tells his disciples how he is feeling. What he's experiencing in his mind, in his spirit. And I would sum it up as anguish and agony. The question, maybe you're thinking about it, but the question that I want to bring to your mind is, why? Why does Jesus have this anguish in agony as he approaches his death. Why is he struggling so badly as he approaches what he's known would take place? Okay, he's, he's given a heads up to his disciples. He's known this was coming. Why is Jesus so deeply distraught over what he came to this world to accomplish? We might wonder, is it because of the physical suffering that would come? Is it because of the relational suffering that we get a glimpse of here in the garden? We're going to see this a little bit more so in the verses to come. We find it is something in our passage, it's something that our passage reveals to us. And we'll see this uh, in, in the coming verse, but first I want us to see uh, what Jesus tells his disciples to do, as it's important for the story to come. In verse 38, he says to them, remain here and watch with me. As I said, they, they won't go with Jesus, but he tells them here, watch with me, which literally means stay awake, be on alert. And we're going to see in a few moments that Jesus also wanted them to pray. So Jesus is calling his close companions, those that would have known him intimately, to pray. To pray as he does. And I, I think we can see here, from the fact that he brings three disciples with him, he doesn't just go completely uh, alone. He brings three di disciples somewhat along with him. And even the author of this passage, Matthew, points out to us, he says, uh, he records Jesus' words where Jesus says, watch with me. And I think this is to show that Jesus had some of his disciples there, that he was looking for their comfort, their support in the garden. And we'll see if, if they actually provide that comfort, that support for Jesus. But the passage moves on to Jesus' prayer. Look with me at Matthew 26, 39. It says, In going a little further, farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So this prayer has two parts. Jesus' request and Jesus' submission. Jesus' request comes when he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So Jesus asks that he might not have to go through with this. He's saying if there's any other way, if, if I don't need to do this, if it's possible, he says, let this cup pass from me. And this is where we find the reason for why Jesus is in agony. Why he's so anguished. What does Jesus mean by this cup? Is he just speaking of his sufferings in general? Is he just talking about dying in general? Or is there more to this phrase, this cup? There's more to this phrase. A cup was often used in the Old Testament to speak of the wrath in the judgment of God on the wicked because of their sin. 
Just listen as I read some of these passages. You don't have to turn there, but I just want you to see how this phrase, uh, the cup, or this cup, is, is used in the Old Testament. Isaiah 51, 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl and the cup of staggering. Jeremiah 25, 15 through 16, we see this. It says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. Psalm 75, 8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And then we even have this in the New Testament, talking about a cup being or referring to the wrath and the judgment of God. Revelation 14.10 says, He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So when Jesus prays, let this cup pass from me, he's asking that if it is possible that he would not have to experience and endure the wrath of God, the judgment of God for sin. Not his sin, but those whom he was dying for's sin. It's how John Stott, in his book, he, he writes a, a pretty good-sized book on Jesus' death. His book is called The Cross of Christ, and this is how he defines the cup. He says this, It symbolized neither the physical pain of being flogged and crucified, nor the mental distress of being despised and rejected even by his own people, but rather the spiritual agony of bearing the sins of the world. In other words, of enduring the divine judgment that those sins deserved. So this is what was causing Jesus agony and anguish in the Garden of, of Gethsemane. This is why he says... Uh, this is why the, the author says he was sorrowful and troubled. This is why he tells his disciples that he was very sorrowful even to death, and it's because of the fact that he would experience and endure the wrath of God for the sins of his people. That he would experience the wrath that we deserve. That he would take on the judgment for our sins that we would have had to experience if it were not for Jesus. So from ap for application from this, this request Jesus gives, this passage, and especially as we partake of communion in a little bit, should cause us to really reflect upon what Jesus did for us on the cross. He wasn't experiencing God's wrath for his sin. He didn't sin. He was perfect. But he took on the wrath we deserve that we should have experienced. We should reflect upon that. We should try and get a grasp on that as we move to communion. So that's the first part of this prayer. He asked that if it was possible that he wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. And it, as you think about this, okay, it may seem like Jesus is trying to get out of what he came to do. It may seem like bucking against the will of God, but rather we see from the next thing he says in this prayer that that is absolutely not the case as we come to Jesus' submission. Look with me again at verse 39. Verse 39 says, And going a little farther, 
He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says this, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So his request, that if it be possible that this, pa- this cup pass, is passed from him, does not trump his desire to fulfill God's will. Though he desires not to be under the wrath of God, we find in this second part of his, of his prayer, he desires even more so to carry out God's plan. Jesus is submissive and obedient to God in his suffering. He wants to obey God. He wants to fulfill his plan. If he must go to the cross, then he will. Though it is causing him excruciating pain and distress, he will fulfill the will of God. So the application for us is what an example this is to us in our suffering. In the most extreme suffering anyone would ever experience, Jesus sets an example of being committed to the will of God. That he will obey God no matter what. So I'd ask you to consider... Will you obey God in your sufferings? Do you say and do you actually live out your will be done to God, even if it means this suffering will continue or even get even worse? So that's Jesus' prayer. We're given a glimpse and um, an end to what Jesus, has set, what Jesus says. We get his request and his submission. Now Jesus returns to the three. And this is covered in verses 40 through 41. If you look with me first at verse 40. Matthew 26, 40 says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Stop there. Jesus has just been pouring out his heart to God. We were given a glimpse of what awaited Jesus, the wrath of God. And even Jesus has shared what he's going through, what he's experiencing, how he's feeling with his disciples. And now we're told they are sleeping. How could they be sleeping when someone who is so close to them is suffering, is struggling, is in agony? And that might be the question that we're tempted to ask. But yet, I think we should spin it back to ourselves and think about the fact that we often fail to respond appropriately to people when they're suffering. We shouldn't completely condemn the the disciples when I think oftentimes we do some of the very same things. Often we're oblivious when we should really easily realize or remember what someone is going through. The words we often use with people who are suffering are harsh and uncaring. We often fail in our response to those suffering. So the disciples' response looks glaringly bad. But as a point of application, I think it should be a wake-up call to us, to be all the more intentional, to pray, God, give me a heart of compassion. Give me the ability to respond to people when they're suffering in a caring, a comforting way. I think oftentimes we are in the same exact place as the disciples. So Jesus finds them sleeping, and I believe how he responds to them. We get Jesus' response. I think he definitely shows that they failed to do what he asked them to do, how they should have responded. But at the same time, I see compassion in Jesus' response. Look again with me at verse 40, and I'll read all of verse 40 and verse 41. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So as I began this message, you may have suffered and someone was not sympathetic to you. And often when that is the case, we're even more saddened. We may get upset and we may lash out at the person. And here I believe Jesus gives a very compassionate and selfless response to these three. Okay? They don't sympathize with him. They fall asleep. They're not thinking about him, but they let themselves fall asleep. He calls them to watch and pray, and it's in what he says next that we see this compassion. If you look again at verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He doesn't say pray for me, pray for my dilemma, pray for my suffering, but instead he calls them to pray for themselves and the temptation that they'll face in just a few moments. I believe he's speaking of the temptation that he's already referred to in the passage right before ours. And we see his compassion once again in verse, at the end of verse 41, he says, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. If you think about what is going on, and even the response of the disciples, Jesus could have severely rebuked them. He could say, how dare you? How could you do this to me and just add to my suffering? In his response, I, I don't think he's excusing what they did, but at the same time, I believe he seeks to understand their struggle. He says the spirit is willing, meaning that they may truly desire to do something and feel that they can do it, but he says the flesh is weak. They need to fight against their sinful nature, that though they want to do something, they're be, being pulled into the opposite direction. So Jesus is, is, I think, being understanding with his disciples. So the application for us is what a challenge this should be to us in our suffering. When people don't respond to us appropriately, when people aren't sympathetic, when they, they don't relate to us in what we're going through, we should be patient understanding, compassionate, and selfless after the example of Jesus here. So Jesus prays. We get his response of his disciples, his response to his disciples for their lack of prayer, and we see this repeats another two times. And ultimately we see Jesus, how Jesus moves forward despite his agony. Look with me at Matthew 26, 42, and I'll read to the end of our passage. It says, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So another two times Jesus prays, prays something very similar, showing his desire to fulfill the will of God, and, and yet another two times his disciples have fallen asleep. So humanly speaking, Jesus is alone. Jesus is alone in this garden. What a difficult thing it is to be alone in our suffering. So we can get a further idea of this suffering, just the whole picture of Jesus' suffering here in this, this garden. But as we consider this, I said humanly speaking. 
as ultimately Jesus was by no means alone. As we see very clearly, he's praying to God. God is with him. He's praying to God the Father. And Jesus shows at the end of this passage that what he's prayed three times now, he actually lives out. He does. They, just, they weren't just words. He wasn't saying, yeah, God, I'll follow your will. And then he doesn't do it. But he said, your will be done. And we see he lives it out. If you look again at verse 45, he says, it says, then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into sinners. And then here... You see Jesus is uh, living out of the will of God or carrying out the will of God. He says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. When Jesus says, rise, let us be going, he's not saying, quick, let's get out of here. Let's escape. But rather, he's walking to his death. He's willingly, submissively, or submissive to his father, going to those who will kill him. Jesus does exactly what he's prayed and obediently will take on the wrath. Or take, not take on, take the wrath and the judgment of God on the What has brought him extreme agony and distress, he will do out of obedience and submission to God the Father. So as we close, as we prepare to take communion, I want to ask what we can learn concerning Jesus' death in this passage. We don't have his death directly. We don't have a scene of the cross, but we have the moments before, the hours before. What should we take and reflect on and respond like as we partake of communion together? Well, first, we certainly see in this passage that we have a God who can relate to us in our suffering. Suffering is the norm for us. We suffer as humans, we suffer even as Christians. Maybe not to the degree, or always to the degree that, that Jesus is experiencing here. And we can take comfort that we certainly have a God who's experienced extreme suffering. As this passage showed emotional and mental suffering, it even showed relational suffering, and as it anticipated physical suffering and ultimately death. Our God knows what it's like to suffer. Our God knows what it's like to die, and we certainly see that Jesus can relate to us as we suffer. Second, we find in this passage an example of suffering. Jesus gives us an example of suffering in several ways, in how he went to the Lord to pray, so too we need to pray in our suffering. And how he responded to others in his suffering, he was compassionate, he was selfless, and so too we need to do the same. And also in how he obeyed God, he was real about what he was going through. He even asked that it be taken away, but what trumped everything was God's will being done. And so too, that needs to be our desire, for God's will to be done in our life, even if it means the suffering continues. And then the third and the last thing I want us to learn, and ultimately I want us to really take into communion this morning. I want us to consider the agony the anguish, the intense pain and distress and sadness that Jesus experienced as he anticipated being under the wrath and the judgment of God. I want us to consider that he experienced this, what he experienced in the garden, the emotional toll it took on him, he, had, he experienced this for us. On our behalf, Jesus experienced this agony, 
He experienced the wrath of God. He ultimately died. And all of this we deserved. He did this in our place. So may this passage give us a greater appreciation for Jesus' death. May it drive us to worship and praise him, even as we did in, in especially I noticed from the praise choruses, um, the thanks, the appreciation, the praise we should have for Jesus, that he saved us from our sins and the wrath of God. My question to you is, will that be your response this morning? Maybe this has never been your response. Maybe you have never praised, never thanked Jesus for his sacrifice because you have never believed in Jesus so that your sins might be saved and you can do this this very moment. To place your faith in Jesus, believing that he died to take God's wrath for you. And if you do this, I would invite you to partake of communion with us this morning. So at this time, the men will be serving communion, can prepare to come forward at this time. And for all those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, I would ask that you refrain from taking communion with us this morning as this is something that only those who have been saved from their sins through Jesus' death on the cross should partake. So I'll pray and then I'll have our men come forward. Lord, I just thank you for just the time that we can sit under your word, that we can reflect upon your death on the cross for us. And, and ultimately, Lord, as we considered the agony, the anguish, just even the difficulty that you experienced in the garden on our behalf, anticipating the wrath of God, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a real sense of, of what you experienced. Help us in, in a way that we certainly can't, but help us to put ourselves in your shoes to, to just think about what Jesus experienced there for us. Lord, just give us just an understanding as we uh, sit and as we partake of communion and remember your death on the cross this morning. Lord, give us a greater appreciation. Just drive us to worship. And Lord, if there is anyone here who has never believed in you, I pray that you would give them just a great understanding and ultimately a belief that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Lord, we pray that you would save them this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with our time now. And Lord, help it to be a meaningful time as we reflect and meditate upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in your name I pray, amen.